This is Georgina Riley, and you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 125, the Quantum Leap Book Club, Random Measures. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Allison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And today... And I'm the fourth host <laughs> who's always been here. Wait a minute. <laughs> who's that? Jana. She hasn't been part oh. of this podcast before. That took me longer than it should have done to realize what the hell you're on about. Uh, the timeline's been fixed. She's gone. It's fine. Oh, oh. my heart is broken. I was so in love with her. She's married to me now, Chris. <laughs> Wait, when whenever we turn off the mic and turn the mic back on, when next time she could be married to Allison, who knows? <laughs> it's progressive. It is. <laughs> this takes place in the progressive year of 2005, so anything is possible. What the? Oh, God, I got things to say about this timeline, sir. It's too woke. <laughs> All right, uh, so... Um, for those of you listening out there, it's probably not apparent, but today we return to the Quantum Leap Podcast Book Club to review book six of the Quantum Leap novel series, Random Measures, by Ashley McConnell. Some might say... We're back in the McConnell-verse. Yeah. Yes, yeah. our last foray into yeah, we are. the McConnell-verse. Dun, dun, dun. Wow, what a whirlwind ride. I'm, I'm going to miss you. the McConnell-verse. <laughs> ending ending the McConnell run with some timey-wimey goodness. Mm. Let's do a synopsis cover blurb. It's been a while since uh, we did our last show that promoted this one. So shall I shall I do the honors, everyone? Please do. I think Matt should read it. Matt should yes, read Matt, it. I you think should it's read been it. a while since he's read the back of one of them. Hang on, hang on. i got to reach this together. <laughs> I'm going to catch him off guard. <laughs> I was going to say, we both had the book in hand, Allison, but you just no, had to I do totally it. No, I totally didn't. I never do. You always think I do, and I don't. <laughs> I'm the only one that does. I'm the, Listeners, I'm the only one that comes prepared, just so you know. <laughs> I never remember the blurb. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was even ready to roll with the fourth, the fourth member of the podcast. So are we, <laughs> are you, the the back cover blurb, or because yeah, yeah, uh, so yeah, yeah, because the the inside front cover is just that very general stuff about a whole new dimension, right? Okay, so the back cover blurb: <laughs> lovers and leapers will death do them part. <laughs> Sam's got trouble. He's leaped into a young half-breed Indian named Wiki with no background, no mission, 
and no word from Al. Meanwhile, Al's found something more interesting than Sam's mission, a beautiful woman named Jana. Jana Calavici. <gasps> As in... Mrs. Al Calavici. I'm so glad they explained that. As in Mrs. <laughs> Al Calavici. But marital bliss may be short-lived as time runs out for Sam. And Al must make a deadly choice. Because helping Sam could change more than Wiki's future. It could erase Janna from his life forever. Quantum Leap, Brandon <laughs> Measures, bum, and all bum, new adventure first time in print. <gasps> wow. wow. Wait, that's very, very, like... You're not you're not writing to the masses with this one. This one had some some yeah. real sort of uh, gymnastics, fourth dimensional gymnastics, <laughs> we should say. But did they make any sense? Hmm. Let's get some initial impressions. Allison, what are your initial impressions of Random Measure? It was all right. I don't think it was like a bad novel, uh, but I do think that it covers ground that even Ashley McConnell has covered uh, a little better. <laughs> like it's it's not as interesting, I think, as it could have been, but it's all right. How about you, Matt? I feel like I'm going to say something that we said about the new series a few times before. Eh, the leap plot's all right, um, but this one seems to more be about what goes on back at the project. This is two <laughs> stories in one, and I have very different feelings about each. Um, oh. But but yeah, it's it this 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 book has some good bits. Okay. Well. <laughs> Middling would be, I, I don't think that's the right word for it. I think that, honestly, this is probably Ashley's strongest entry into the novel series. There's just um, a comfort in the writing here um, and just, uh, I, I just think like a level of cohesiveness and character that we didn't really see in her other books. It's mm -hmm. like she's hitting her stride in a lot of ways. That being yeah. said, I have some problems with the, I have some problems with the book. There are many of the Ashley McConnell tropes that are on display here and mm -hmm. uh, we'll, we'll go through them as we go through the book. But all in all, I think it's a strong entry into the, into the, um, into the novel mm. series. And I think a good end, if it's going to be your last, Ashley, I think did a pretty good job on this one. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. liked this better than um, I did with The Wall or um, what was the one before it? It was uh, Too Close for Comfort. <laughs> too Close yeah. to Comfort. I, I did like it better <laughs> than that. And I do think when Sam and Al were interacting, like she did a much better job with like it feeling like they were friends and they cared about each other and, and the interplay was pretty good. She I, she nailed the characterizations individually and yeah the the interplay um it, it seemed less like they hated each other yes, except for times yes. when it was supposed to be tense yeah yeah it was enjoyable. <laughs> i don't know I, I kind of felt like they hated each other all over <laughs> <laughs> well i guess we'll but let's get into that but that's par for the course for the mcconnell verse so i mean it's ashley doing she what has, ashley does you can tell after reading a few of these uh mcconnell uh, mcconnell verse books uh they're definitely like things that she likes to write about and, and styles and things that she, she brings back. Yeah. I do want to say, though, it was really sweet uh, opening the book and the dedication was to Dennis Wolfberg. Yeah. I thought that was really nice. Yeah. So it must have been like just after he passed. It'd be around the time they were publishing these, right? Yeah, I think so. I just uh, touched upon yes. something here. If you look at that, uh, the font for the uh, to the memory of Dennis Wolfberg for that for that dedication, do you see how Quantum Leap is italicized at the very end of the sentence? Doesn't that look? V oh, you guys don't have your books in front of you. It looks oh, very do, much I like do. the logo for the new series. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, because it's, it's uh, italicized and kind of slanted. <laughs> it's italicized and kind of boxy. So, oh, okay, looks very QL twenty twenty two. 
because yeah. you know why you know why uh, logos look a lot more like that these days in general is because it's easier to print it's easier to streamline and so that's probably why it looked like that because they don't have like that font that they're going to put in the uh the actual text yeah and it's much easier to scale to uh if you're making like merch and logos and especially on small screens right hang on yeah. when did dennis wolfberg die i'm just i just want to because... I want to say it was 94, a little bit oh, after no, the show Oh, no, I'm ended. talking more specifically about October 94, because I've got in front of me the UK edition, which was published September 94 and does not have a dedication to him, and the US edition, oh. which was February 95 and does. So, yes, he passed away in between the two. I was just trying to figure oh, out why the UK one didn't have that, but, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. Added so for I guess the US it was edition. a last-minute edition. Well, it's nice so that what they is... did that. What does it say in the box tree edition, Matt? What is the dedication to? Uh, there isn't a dedication. It just goes straight to acknowledgments. Huh. Look at that. Props to Dennis Wolfberg. He makes a very uh, brief appearance in this book, like exceedingly brief. Yeah. I, there's a Gushy book along the line, but this is very yeah. typical of Gushy's involvement in these, which is a little bit of a bummer. I feel like his character, he is the one at the project other than Al that shows up the most, but I think he's the most unexplored in the books. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, Mindy Peterman does have uh, Song and Dance, which yeah, is yeah. the mm. the one and only gushy novel. And uh, I, I think that Mindy. was a ginger request too. I think she was looking for stories about people at the project, and Gushy was one of them. Yeah, more than likely mm. because Mindy was her book came out in the same batch. Like they sold them in 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 lots of three. Basically, they bought in lots of three. I should say. So, my book and Mindy's book were part of the same quote lot, and I believe it was the second to last or even the last lot that they ever bought. And then they canceled the novel series. And at that time, Ginger, I think, was much more open to doing deeper dives into side characters because mm -hmm. at this point, it was just going to be hardcore fans reading the books. I don't think it ever made sort of the broader commercial splash that they wanted it to, even though it did run for, I don't know, 16, 18 books. So that in itself is a success. But I think Mindy's book came along at a time when it was more permissible to do mm. some of the more esoteric stuff. And uh, I think I benefited from that as well. It's it's so different. It's almost like comparing season five of Quantum Leap to season two of Quantum Leap because Random Measures is very much a mainstream novel that happens to take right. place in the Quantum Leap universe. Yeah, it is kind of interesting to think of it that way because the novels are basically starting where the first season of the show started in that like... You just have to get out your best pitches and the, what's going to appeal to the widest audience. And then you can get like more experimental or you can try mm. a little bit something different or more specific. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think. Although, I mean, like I, I, the Quantum Leap novels were always going to be <laughs> harder to sell for a mainstream audience because <laughs> it is a little confusing of a concept. Yeah, you know, and it, it didn't benefit from the huge following that, say, like a Star Trek has that can sustain uh, multiple novels over 30 years now, uh, probably more with multiple franchises and multiple characters. And they just go yeah. everywhere with the Star Trek novels. I don't think Quantum Leap ever had that, that dynamic sense built into it. So there was only so much you could do before it started getting samey-samey. And um, it's kind of nice, though, because Ashley does kind of harken back to a few things in her previous books. She makes this more of sort of a mainstream leap, but then she puts in a lot of timey-wimey stuff for the back of the project. So this is like three books in one. 
to me. And I think, <laughs> Matt, you were alluding to that in the beginning, right? Yeah. And that's it, the the timey-wimey stuff I, I have some some problems with, but it does create some really nice stuff for Al and Verbena as well. But what's interesting, I also alluded to the, the fact that this is a conversation we've had a lot over the last few months about the project story versus the um, the leap story. There, there is a bit of cohesion between the two, which is quite nice here, and it's not something we see that often with the novels. Yeah, I got uh, I got some issues with the story <laughs> and the project. I just feel like I'm a I big project hater now. I, I don't mind that it's cohesive, and I feel like bare minimum the stuff in the books <laughs> they're actually talking about the leap so i feel like it's always gonna have like one up on the new series so far but <sighs> ashley really likes verbena as a character and verbena is one that can be kind of difficult because uh a we don't know what she really what her personality was what she sounded like what she spoke like because she didn't have any lines we just have an appearance and a, an occupation really but it can be kind of tough because psychiatrists can be kind of difficult because they're kind of clinical. So sometimes it can be kind of dull, but it also gives you something to play with. And I'm not sure that Ashley McConnell really added anything to it that made me interested in the amount of story time that she's given. Like a lot of her story in this one, uh, when she's not working with the person in the waiting room, is just uh, explaining how time travel works to her over and over again with the memory thing. And I was so bored of hearing the same description that it was like, it, it was described in other books too, the fact that time changes and Al's the only one who remembers, but they go over it for copious amounts of time. And I just wasn't interested in, in hearing the same description. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it might it might be uh, advantageous to those who haven't read the book or haven't read it in a long time, as I, I didn't before this. Like I said, before we started this one, when we knew we were coming to it, I had zero memory of what went on in this book. So maybe we just give a short synopsis uh, besides what we heard on the blurb. Um, Sam leaps into uh, a young man named Wiki Grey Wolf Straczynski. And it's June 1975, and they are in a small town in what what Ashley erroneously calls upstate New York, Snow Owl, uh, which is in Elcottville. Elcottville is actually western New York. And believe me, if you go to western New York and you say it's upstate, they'll correct you right away. So it's western New York because if you're close to Lake Erie, then you are to the Hudson River. You're in western New York. So uh, New York uh, diatribe done. So, um, <laughs> say, uh, Wiki's just like a bartender in this small town working with a woman uh, named Rita Mae Hoffman, uh, who is basically his boss with benefits. That's the leap in. She has two kids. One is a niece named Bethica, who has a relationship with a kid named Kevin in town, who's a total dick, and also an adopted son named Davey, who has fetal alcohol syndrome. And this is a book basically about Sam as Wiki trying to navigate um, Bethica away from what is like a, an accident from a party up on the mountain where all the teens are drinking. And to complicate matters, Kevin and Bethica had a relationship and Kevin hates Wiki. And so Sam is always having to deal with this 19-year-old bully who is got it out for him. 
and complications ensue. Meanwhile, back at the project, Al steps out of the imaging chamber. And as Ashley has established in previous novels, every time he does that, the project is a little different. Time changes around them, and he is the only one along with Ziggy who remembers the changes. But this time, there's a huge change in that he has a wife named Jenna. So it's his sixth wife, I guess, or we never really get a clarity of like what his what his altered future or past, I should say. I think sixth is. because uh, they talk about how he meets her instead of Tina because he she was at the uh, office party. Right. But, uh, okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. Prelude, and that would have been right. after his fifth wife, I believe. Right. That makes so, sense. Yeah, so so there we have it. So Sam is on a fairly routine, and I don't mean to say routine, but I think like sort of a, a mundane sort of meat and potatoes leap. Uh, I have to save this kid. Um, there's some domestic trouble going on, and um, he's basically navigating um, just normal people while Al is dealing with this whole esoteric timey-wimey thing and struggling to come to terms with his old life and memories of this new life. And it's pretty interesting um, on the face of it. I, I, I thought it was ambitious for her if you're going to go out with a book to go out mm. with a story that's that's sort of this high concept so but I, allison you had some issues with with the fact that it was i guess so high concept that they felt the need to explain it over and <laughs> over and over yeah well i mean it's not that i didn't uh, i mean i understood it i just felt like it was there were a lot of scenes of verbena being told how this works uh by al and then by ziggy and then not wrapping her mind around it and then she's like wait a minute i was best friends with tina in this universe i don't get it and, but and it's like okay maybe if she was in the situation it would take her a little bit to navigate this but we have seen this in other books it just felt like it wasn't really that interesting hearing them talk about it. I was interested in the parts where Al is exploring this new history. As far as the changes on Verbena's end, there wasn't really that much interesting other than she wasn't friends with Tina. Like, it was focusing on her a lot. And I, I wouldn't mind that if we learned a little more about Verbena, yeah. but we really didn't. Um, she mentions working at a practice in San Francisco. I think mm. that's something that we learned about her but i mean it's it's not much and, and also like was it just me or did like verbena's characterization in this one seem different than how ashley mcconnell had written her before she seemed very vernacular in this one it was almost like she was i, I want to say that in other novels and i guess also i'm I'm a little bit colored by the way I wrote her. I mean, she comes across as um, a little bit more straight-laced, a little bit more professional. In this one, she was very casual, calling people hun a lot. Yeah, she mm. starts saying yeah. like, you know, when is this going to end? Mama wants to know, stuff like right. that. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I wouldn't mind if that was how she initially was, but it just seems different in this one than she had been written before. Also, they, there's frequent mentions of her like wearing dashikis, which is not really something we i mean we only saw her like once so i don't know how she normally dressed but i don't know it just seemed like there was a difference this time around yeah there's so much potential for verbena and it, ashley obviously wants to do something with her but yeah the the point you make that yeah we, we learned that she had a practice that's a fact we we learn a fact about her and we learn a few yeah. different facts about her through the novels but um yeah in this one particular there's so much time spent with her where we could be learning personal stuff 
we could be actually getting to know her. And yeah, it's it, it seems a little wasted, which is unfortunate. I mean, I guess we learned that she wears dashikis. Yeah, <laughs> she, fact. I mean, like there's a, there's a little bit uh, and it's part of the leap is solved by her too. Like part of it is that she has mm. to convince Wiki in the waiting room to go to college, do something with his life. There's that too, but I feel like it's all handled very clinically when you could do something really interesting with her character. Especially because you, you don't really have a lot of a of a baseline to work with, so you mm. could really go in lots of different directions. They did that with Tina. Tina had basically nothing, and they're like, what if we made her a genius? It's like, that's really yeah. interesting. She's this ditzy genius, but I don't really know that much about Verbena. Yeah, and it's odd because Ashley's the one who gave Tina that personality. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's it's that we're living in Ashley's world. I mean, very much so. She set the foundation for so much of what we see in the novels. And I was very surprised because Verbena's portrayal in this reminded me of some of your criticisms of Ashley's earlier books, Allison, where they have Sam in some dire situation, but you don't get a lot of thought from him about what he's going through, I guess in the wall, especially. Yeah. Yeah. I had that problem with that one. With all the abuse and there's no real exploration of the trauma that he's going through. He seems fine, even though he's getting his his ass handed to him throughout most (laughs) of the book. And I felt like, she was writing Verbena here to be more of a player, to take uh, more of a central role back at the project and to give her a spotlight. But then everything we got from her was basically surface surface thoughts and reaction instead yeah. of like real introspection and exploration. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, on the flip side, though, I, I did think that with Sam, it was better in this book than in The Wall as far as introspection. Oh, mm. yes. Yes, 100%. There's a wonderful part with Sam that he just is taking stock of how he can get along without Al if he has to. It was like at the top of chapter 14. So this was later in the book as Al is petrified of going back into the imaging chamber because if he thinks he comes back out, then Jana will be gone. Yeah. And, you know, reality will have reset itself. And Sam is, you know, he's he's at his wits end a little bit because Al's gone for like days at a time in this book. And he's just really on his own. He has no idea what he's supposed to be doing there as part of the leap. So he's just trusting his gut. And um, there's a nice little bit uh, towards the end where he's just saying, okay, well, if this is it, well, how, how do I go on? Like how, how do I do it without the guidance that I need? And I thought that that was a neat twist. I mean, so much more than we've gotten from Ashley before in terms of just pure character work for Sam and Al, where it's not just, again, reaction and then them seeming to just snipe at each other when they are together. So Yeah, well, I feel they do get tense around each other for a little bit, but like you understand the reasoning and you also see parts where they do like care about each other and like each other. So it doesn't feel like they're just like mad all the time. <laughs> I, d- I don't know why we have another one where Sam and Al aren't together anymore (laughs) where they're like separated again like we just read one which was by melissa crandall where that happened and you know this is a different author but there's also uh, this is very similar to too close for comfort something happens with al and he just speaks off for a while and then (laughs) sam's left alone and i'm like do we need to do this again like how many times are we doing this like at least they were exploring the characters you know so i don't yeah. I don't think it was badly done. I just feel like it's it's felt very repetitious. 
it's something you do once in a blue moon for the the big tension separate them off but yeah it's happened a few times in seven novels now yeah so it's like i i feel like a little less of the impact of sam being left alone because we've seen this quite a bit now and the fact that also sam doesn't really have a lot to do so he's kind of dinking around a little bit and i do think that there's good character work there i just think like as far as the leap goes he has a lot of time to to do nothing basically <laughs> mm, yeah very much so i i think that what we see here with the separation between Sam and Al, I feel like it's what Ashley had been working towards because it is an interesting concept to have Al be away more than he is present on the leaps. Uh, it's something that you can explore. It might give you good fodder for drama, good fodder for story. And I feel like she did it. Uh, I'll just say it out, you know, right out. She did it poorly in too close for comfort what was with, with al he he was afraid of interacting with his younger self he was embarrassed about his younger self and then he had a fight with tina so it was just or, or tina left i but it was it was kind of weak sauce in those mm. books where in this book there's an actual really like 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 yeah. poignant reason yeah. for oh, him to for not sure. want to go back but it feels like all right but we're retreading some of the same ground and it's a shame that we're, we're revisiting some themes that we've already seen in some of our novels. And the Al staying away from Sam is not the only theme, but that one felt more like a repeat. Whereas I feel like a lot of this book was a culmination of a lot of the themes that Ashley had been playing with since her first book. And we can get more into that as we get deeper into the story, but it was kind of a mixed bag in that respect. So one of the main things that I liked about the book you know, to that point was the fact that she really did take a central conceit that is so unique to her books to a very logical extreme here. And I guess that's where sort of the timey-wimey Jana stuff comes in. But she explains more concretely how the project how the project exists both within time and separate from time, how it is different from the world around them. And she explains that the project exists in a static bubble insulated from the changes in the timeline until Al contacts Sam in the imaging chamber and actuates that change. And that's why when he comes out, the new changes suddenly manifest. And I thought that that was kind of a really neat timey-wimey way to write it. Like if I were writing this, I felt like that might be something that I would want to come up with. I felt that that was a very satisfying exploration of just how does this all work and how do, how do you explain all of these minute changes? And I, I thought it was really, really neat and esoteric. See, that whole thing is the part that I've got really mixed feelings about and I'm still struggling to come to terms with whether I loved it or hated it for that. Because uh, the whole idea of reality shifting for our main characters on a frequent basis as a one-off short story or a movie or a single standalone novel is fascinating. And you get some really good Al stuff sort of exploring that as part of a series, an ongoing series of novels where we are meant to be connecting to a group of characters that interact with each other, knowing that yeah, well, they could be married this novel and then not married the next, and people could die this novel who come back to life the next one. It it's it feels like a dramatic cheat, and it, it bothers me that it's part of a series and that she could drop this in. But like I say, it, it's a really cool idea, and I love it. It's just it's something that should be explored in a standalone, not as part of a wider universe where 
there's nothing to grab onto now because you know okay right i i could i could get attached to tina and think she's a fantastic character she could just not be around for the rest of the series because she she dies effectively off screen through a change in the timeline yeah yeah i I mean i think it should have been not as many changes and like only address it if it's something really drastic like this because it's kind of an interesting concept that al finds himself married all of these things where it's sort of like things shift around the project all the time uh i don't know if it's that relevant other than making al feel bad most of the time in these books but um you know, it, this one was interesting, but I don't know if we really got to know Jana that well. So I don't know mm. if we were that attached to it. But it is kind of a a tragic concept, you know, like just for a brief moment, he's with this woman and he's going to carry yeah. the memories of this after this. Everyone else is going to forget. He's going to be the only one who remembers. You know, yeah. But I don't know if we really know that much about Jana. Um, we know that she's 20 years younger than him. And she looks like Beth, which is a little hmm. <laughs> reminiscent of Beth. Beth, Beth adjacent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there's interesting changes in the timeline outside of that too. I mean, there's one point where Al is having like a, a PTS dream yes. a PTSD flashback dream. Mm-hmm. Um, that is it, so well done. I love that that bit. Sorry. I interrupted. I was, I was just yeah. so excited that you brought that up. <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. And like in the middle of this like flashback about Vietnam, like Sam is there and it's mm. like, um, it's really dark. Uh, and I, I, they also talk about like the scars on Al's wrists from the ropes. Like mm. yeah. it kind of goes into this dark place. Um, but they also mentioned that like he has more dreams in this timeline yes. than he does in the other one. So he's somehow like, I don't know if this was something like he got more therapy in the other timeline yeah. or if he was more traumatized for some reason. Uh, I don't know why this particular thing was changed. He also takes a medication for it that he doesn't normally take. Mm hmm. Yeah. So I guess it's not all positive changes. Yeah. It's butterfly effect stuff, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that the dream sequence that we saw in the novel with the snake and the skull and Sam was Al feeling guilty for not having gone into the imaging chamber in like two or three days. And yeah, absolutely. feeling like he's abandoning his best mm. friend and it's manifesting through his PTSD, which I thought was an excellent character mm. turn. Yeah. So just to get back to Matt's earlier point, though, about um, characters coming in, characters going out, having the novels be more of a cohesive universe. Matt, before Quantum Leap novels, what kind of experience did you have reading tie-in fiction? Did you did you read any tie-in fiction work that you didn't have to for a podcast? <laughs> uh, no, pretty minimal. Uh, the occasional Star Trek book. Um, yeah, not much. Okay. I I only ask because I pretty much cut my teeth um, when I started buying books like for myself. Star Trek books were like my crack. Mm -hmm. So I got to know tie-in fiction pretty well through Star Trek and I got to be comfortable with the fact that every book was its own take on the universe. And you might have authors whose interpretations you liked better than other authors. So if I saw a book by, say like Diane Duane or Diane mm-hmm. Carey or Margaret Bonanno, I would be so psyched because I loved their Star Trek stuff as opposed to some other authors whose takes I was just like, uh, you know, I'm going to read it because it's a Star Trek book, but I know I'm not going to enjoy this one as much. <laughs> but I never expected it to be like this cohesive sort of thrust within a, a literary universe. That happened very later on in the Star Trek series. Um, after all the movies stopped being made after Enterprise, they started doing 
continuation series through the books, but that was unheard of. Before that, it was just decades of standalone stories or authors doing their own sort of thing within their own tangents in the universe. And now we have the McConnell verse. The the McConnell verse, which has now come to an end. Standalone. She referenced her own stuff in this. But she's the one who can. I mean, and there were a lot of characters that say Diane Carey used over and over again in her books that I loved. Uh, Diane Duane did the same thing. I mean, she had a horda on the bridge for God's sake, and I love that. So that you knew that you were sort of getting that brand of the franchise through those authors and. That's what I loved about it because it was so different. I, I, I like the thing that you like the least. You know, I, I, I understand how these things work and I don't expect cohesion as such through the novels. I don't expect a, a, a single grand master plan or anything like that. But the concept that she's introducing is so major, whether it was introduced in the TV show or the comics or one of the novels, yeah, I mean, I guess I can just happily ignore that concept for the rest of the novels. I kind of have to because I don't want to think through any of the novels that characters can just come and go because of changes in the timeline or, or through any of the media. Yeah, I think he's talking about cohesion in stories and, and plot versus like the, the stories connecting. It's it's is this world something consistent? Yes, the, the fact that she's basically saying yeah, that the world can just itself up and un itself at a moment's notice without necessarily explaining why sometimes it might sometimes it might not it that just seems yeah unsatisfying but very a very cool thing to explore yeah no no totally fair though i can see the pitfalls and i can see where you would be yeah. trepidatious it's just uh, in time travel stories in general. I don't like when they make major changes and then all of a sudden everything that you followed is not a thing anymore but this is something where it's just it's constantly shifting. But I'm mm-hmm. thinking like, you know, there was a show, I think it was BBC called Primeval, where mm-hmm. it was about like these wormholes opening up and then all these like different like dinosaurs and other creatures from different timelines would like come for different time periods would come to the present day. And they had uh, at the end of the first season, this major shift in the timeline where this character was completely erased from existence. And then like the actress is there, but she's a different character. And then you have to follow it from there and it was so alienating to me because i'm like what Mm. was i following this whole storyline for if you're just gonna change Mm. it to this like there's no payoff to it it's the same as when you throw in an amnesia storyline to something and you don't fix it like you're just like well i guess they just don't know anymore it's like well i kind of i kind of was following what was happening here and now it's not you just told me i wasted my time yeah you know yeah yeah and that's odd because usually something like that happens and i'm thinking of later seasons of sliders something like that happens because there's a sea change in either the cast or the production or the characters or or whatever so they're trying to give you some kind of continuity through line of making these characters in universe make sense but if you have the same actor there just playing no, a no, different yeah, role i'm not talking about cast you know? changes and stuff yeah that yeah when no. you have to kill someone off or you know you have to write them off in some way i get that but when you're talking about timeline changes and erasing a timeline basically or you know shifts like that uh it can be alienating because you do want to have something to ground you in it and i think that's what matt's talking about there you know if every single book tina's married to someone else and then all this stuff is going on like you don't really have a through line with the yes. characters of the project to really care what's happening in their stories. Hmm. 
on a slightly lighter note, um, you mentioned about like Ashley McConnell creating her own universe and referencing things in it. She, she actually gets some of the references back to Prelude wrong. <laughs> Does she? <laughs> yes. Wait, what did she get wrong? <laughs> she mentions uh, Sam collapsing originally when he leapt out, Sam collapsing in the imaging chamber, which he didn't. It was the accelerated chamber in, in both Genesis and Prelude. <laughs> this Christmas party in Prelude was in the spring and it was also around Al's birthday which doesn't make sense from other references to Al's birthday so that the whole date for that party his birthday is in June yeah exactly June 15th I think but in in Prelude that that party's in like April or May Um, it's not a Christmas party son of a gun and less said about the fact this novel is set in 2005 the better (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was going to ask you I do, about okay. that. I want we to talk to. about that real quick, but I do want to. I do want to mention uh, other mentions of Prelude before we move on yeah. from that. Uh, I didn't catch all of that stuff. That's so funny to me. But he does remember other stuff from Prelude. Sam remembers uh, him reaching for the stars and laughing. Mm. Uh, and mm-hmm. there's also a reference to Jesse Oliveira. Yes, yeah. near the end, he was the. Yeah. Than not Tina. The, yeah, then. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, um, there's also another bit with the one appearance that Gushy makes in this book. He alludes to the fact that at the end of, I believe it was Too Close for Comfort, maybe it was Prelude, that Ziggy was building onto herself. That might have right, even right. been the novel. That might have even been corny knowledge. I don't recall where, but that's all McConnellverse yeah. called that. The McConnellverse. It's the McConnellverse. As, as a fanfic writer, I'm just going to say. We love referencing our other stories. We love building our own little universe. So I totally get it. I got to go back and just change my answer to Chris slightly earlier on. I have read all of the Saved by the Bell uh, spin-off novels. What? (laughs) How many are there? Which are all written by the same person or possibly the writer's never written anything else. So I don't know if it's maybe a team of people writing under the same name, but there there's a number of recurring characters who appear in every single novel, but never appeared in the TV show. Oh, and cool. that's <laughs> properly consistent throughout. Like it's this weird whole micro universe that they create for Saved by the Bell for the novels. But, anyway, but I feel that's... like all the characters who weren't the main characters in Saved by the Bell kind of rotated anyway. Like you never really saw the same teachers that much or the same students. It was usually yeah, whoever. but no, this, they they just they created this whole extended cast for the, the like twenty odd novels. It's it's quite funny. It's, it's like there's much more of a story arc going on through them than there ever was in the TV series. <laughs> I realize I realize that you are a complete Saved by the Bell. I mean, you named your kid Zach, for God's sake. But I'm only now just grasping the depth of your dedication to this show. You read how many Saved by the Bell novels? Yeah, how oh, many did they do? They, they did 20 odd of the original series of <laughs> a few... Yeah! A few college years and um, about a dozen for the new class. And yeah, I've read all of them. Did you read all? Did you watch all of the new class? Yeah, I've got them all. Multiple, yeah, yeah. Oh heck yeah! I ju- I haven't ventured into that. Yeah, I, mean, I only got as far as terrible. college years. <laughs> yeah, don't don't do the new class. The, the new series. <laughs> it ran longer than the original. <laughs> the reboot is so good. Um, or was so good. Amazing. This book Sorry. was in 2005? 2005. Oh. <laughs> they say it was... Te- when I first... The first mention of this, Al is like, it's been 10 years and we haven't brought Sam home. And I'm like, wait, what the f***? <laughs> 10 years? What is he talking about? That makes it 2005. And I thought maybe it was just bad math or something. Or I'm yeah. like, maybe they were thinking it just wasn't like... Like throughout the show, every year wasn't a year or something. But then they're like, yeah, it's 2005. Yeah. And then they say it was 1995 when he left. It's like, what? What are you talking about? This is way longer than it ever went on the show. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's the I, far future. Could that be just her blatant you to mirror image? I I love could, the could. idea that, that she's like, nah. <laughs> mirror because, image didn't happen. Whatever. It's I mean, 10 years later. It's 10 years later. It's like, what? How, but how? if it was 10, if this was beyond mirror image, this is saying the thing with Beth I either didn't take or never happened. No, I think that she's completely ignoring mirror image. I think that Sam is just leaping like he's always leapt and um, he's still trying to find his way home. Wait, do we have, aside from the caption card at the end, do we? is there anything to say that season five didn't take place over a six-year period? Because we know yes. Lee Harvey Oswald was 1999. Yes, we do. Because Sam leapt as, as himself and his driver's license in his wallet said it expired in 1999. Yes, so... Well, that didn't mean that just means <laughs> that it didn't take place then. But that would mean he's last time way his driver's older in the was... finale than Scott Bakula was. <laughs> <It's> like, <Yes. laughs> I don't know. That's 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 the only bit of dating that we have, though. And there's the so... the caption card saying that it's the 39th wedding anniversary of Beth and Al, but their mm. wedding date could have changed or something. I don't know. I, I don't know. This it seems inconsistent. I don't it's know if stretch. this was maybe Ashley McConnell's way of trying to extend the novels. Like, it can take place within this period of time because it wasn't all linear. Yeah. She probably wasn't thinking. She, I mean, she probably wasn't thinking of what the dates were in the last season and just like, let's kind of spread this out and say that this took place this long. Maybe that was the thought. <laughs> she played fast and loose with yes. what was going on in canon and maybe didn't remember everything that great. There's like one yeah. or two references to the show that are also incorrect. So, uh, you, you mean Leon Stryker? Leon Stryker? You Leon Stryker? <laughs> That's not the name. It's a cool um, actually, it's a actually, cool the timeline changed, and that's why he's named Striker now. The, oh my god, this this timeline change to explain inconsistencies is hilarious. There's one point where it's like, yeah, in one timeline, Verbena had a degree in psychology, and the other one, she had it in psychiatry. Boom, fixed. There you go. She could have mentioned uh, Al having an extra two years as a POW and um, the, the difference between MIA and Leap Home Part 2 and then well, save, that's... save Pulitzer ever having to happen. Well, Pulitzer <laughs> is the next one, so I guess they were like, "This, we need to correct this. Yeah, let's have a whole novel explaining away that one. I do like that this also explains Donna's absence. It's like, uh, sometimes she's there, sometimes she's not. Sometimes Sam's married to someone else. Yeah. Who, who was Sam married to? It's so who casual. Was Sam married to Al, obviously. Oh, no. It was, um, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. Oh, Tamlin. Tamlin. It was Tamlin. Thank Something you. happened. They met each other earlier. Yeah. How old was Tamlin compared to Sam? When was she born? Were they around the same Abigail. age? Maybe it was Abigail. Maybe it was Abigail. Yeah, I have no Crazy. idea what Tamlin's age is compared to Sam's age, compared to uh, Abigail's age. Abigail would be like 900. Give, me, give me a second, I'm on it. Verbena says once a man switched back with Sam in time to die. I, I believe that's talking about the end of the first trilogy. Or you could be talking about uh, Last Dance, too. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Never mind. I thought could of Last Dance. I thought of the bullet. This is not the first time <laughs> Sam switched out and been like, good luck, bye. <laughs> Later, <Peace> loses. Out. <laughs> Eat my dust, dead man. <laughs> oh, man. I laughed so hard at the end of this book. It was so abrupt. Kevin can F himself. <laughs> <laughs> 
Kevin just whiffs it off the side of that cliff. And they're like, oh no, Kevin, anyway. I wanted to get into that a little bit because that was a dark turn and it's just like... (laughs) It was a really abrupt dark ending. Yeah, we've seen... We've seen Sam kill to resolve a leap before. I mean, it happened in the episode, the first episode he directed. Sam pops up out of the water like Kurtz in Apocalypse Now and shoots that guy. And um, it's not unheard of in the series, but it was just so, it seemed so out of character for this this book. I know that they were trying to get away from him and and all that, but it's like he purposely led him to, to drive off the cliff. See, I thought he was just trying to get away and, like, if, if he kept coming after him, what happened to him was his own fault kind of thing. I'm not sure Sam was purposefully trying to get him to go over the cliff, but it did feel very abrupt and very dark compared to what we'd been seeing. Well, <laughs> like, the guy was a bully. But I mean, I guess he was going to kill them. I guess it was kill or was... be killed at this point. So they knew that he had malicious intent there. He wasn't just trying to, to scare them. I just love that in the timeline we exist in, we can equate the end of this book with another project that stars Raymond Lee. I know. I immediately <laughs> thought that. I'm like, Kevin can F himself. <laughs> so what have you found out? What have you deduced, Matt, uh, timeline-wise? We we don't know Tamalin's age at all. But let's okay. face it, look, oh, looking okay. at, so, the, you know, Temptation Eyes is set early 85. She, she could be about 30-ish then, which would... I guess it wouldn't be that much of a Put difference. Put her in the, the early 50s for a birthday. So, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So, yeah. I mean, so Tamlin's one of, in my head canon now, sometimes she's, he's married to Tamlin. I guess um, Sam saved her from the killer so that she could meet Sam Beckett and marry him. She sought him out after that. That's right? what they should do in the new show. They could be like, he's married to Tamlin in this timeline, actually. <laughs> <laughs> You don't want Mimi Kuzik to have a, a, a guest appearance? I, I have nothing against Mimi Kuzik. Got some Donna problems. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, we were aware. <laughs> yeah. I loved You Have Been Vindicated, Madame. Hmm? There is a part in this book where Al flat out admits that he lies to Sam. I'm telling you, it's canon. <laughs> They've talked about it. He's he lies all the time. You're talking about when um the bungee jumping at the beginning. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He uh-huh. lies about that. Okay, so it, the beginning of this book is a separate leap. It just starts like <laughs> I do like the beginning of, of this leap actually, because it is kind of a nice one for Sam. Yeah. He leaps in on a hot air balloon. And I wrote down this sentence because I, I really liked it. Uh it says he could remember being afraid of heights as if the fear mattered to someone else. But up here, up in the perfect silence of the upper sky, the ground had nothing to do with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I thought that was really nice. Like, he just has a really good time. Al is already there. I don't know why he yeah, was just immediately there. Yeah, I wanted to, because he leaped in and Al is already floating besides the balloon. So how does yeah, that work? That, that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, and I guess he was just there to make sure that the clip from the bungee jump line was like on uh, the balloon so he didn't die when uh, sam is pushed off and bungee jumping like he, he doesn't know what's going on uh al is like distracted yes uh with the hand link and he outright lies to sam like he says that uh there's this fantasy basketball team that i'm running with gushy and uh, i'm trying to buy up michael jordan's contract don't worry about it lie <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. What 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 they say in this um, is that because of the obscene cost of running Ziggy, they rent out Ziggy's memory and computational powers to other projects so that they have an excuse to keep going. And Al was really looking at a spreadsheet of tectonic activity that Ziggy was preparing for one of their, quote, clients, I guess, another agency that has been usurping some of Ziggy's computational power. So that was an interesting wrinkle. I don't know why. I guess Al doesn't want to bother Sam with that kind of nonsense. I think Sam would be pissed if he found out they were renting out Ziggy. I would be pissed projects. if if I might if I might plummet to my death from uh, the wicker basket of a balloon and you are trading Michael Jordan fantasy basketball. That would make me angry, but I'm not a sports guy, so I might have a bias there. Yeah, I mean, I think that Sam knows to some extent that Al lies about this stuff. I mean, he outright says like when Al says some dumb bullshit in one episode, he's like, "Why do you lie about this all the time? Just just say you don't know. Why are you making stuff up?" So he might know that he's not really doing this, but. It's not really out of character for Al to say that he was doing some sport thing when Sam was almost going to die. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not so, out of character at all. I, I, I could, I could I, see it playing out in my mind's eye very easily. Yeah, I think that Al is just, it's easier to say that sort of thing, not necessarily to make Sam less mad, but to avoid explanations for these sorts of things. I think Ashley did a good job of that. Like, it was a surprise to me. When he admitted that he was lying, but it was actually very it good wasn't a in universe. To me. As it was soon as he said <laughs> fantasy basketball team, I'm like, bullshit. There's something <laughs> else going on. There's no fantasy basketball team lies. <laughs> I know good, this. Good I know reason. this holograms pattern. He ain't got no fantasy basketball team. Man, you got you got his number, Allison. That's it. In this I reality or number. any other, I'm telling you, I got his number. He ain't lying to me. <laughs> Oh, um, there's also confirmation that Al brings a chair into the imaging chamber so he could sit down when he's like in trucks and stuff. Right. Just to yeah. make it make it easier on Sam cognitively. Right. No, not so yeah. much dissonance. Right. Which, I mean, makes sense. Like it, it, he has to be sitting on something. And since it doesn't exist, the holograms don't exist to him. He has to have something physically there with him. Yeah, no, true. But if he's sitting on a chair, you should be able to see some parts of the chair. Right? Unless because the chair is inside of the seat, like if he was sitting down on the floor, right. he might be inside the seat. You wouldn't necessarily see no, the bottom I understand, half of that. So it, it sure is convenient how it never overlaps. Yeah, he's always in a chair that's <laughs> exactly the right size to be concealed with whatever he's sitting in in, in the image. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, Al also mentions being an astronaut again. That hasn't come up very much, but he mentions mm. uh, zero gravity training. Yep. Yeah. And, during the uh, bungee jumping. During the bungee jump. What I loved about the bungee jumping is I I didn't realize it was a bungee jump. Um, I thought that Sam was skydiving, and the fact that you know the ground was somebody else's problem. I've been skydiving a couple of times, and I'm not crazy about heights. I especially hate like ledges, but when you're skydiving, you don't feel like you're falling, and it's like the greatest feeling in the world. And the ground really is an abstract concept. Like you don't even think about it. And they've always told me, like, and this is what happens when Sam jumps. He says the ground so suddenly starts getting larger and the cars start getting larger. And I was always told, you know, the twice, the two times I went, that if you can actually perceive the ground coming up at you, it's too late. You're dead. 
you know, uh, mm. you're, you're already too low for the shoot to deploy. So I was like, oh shit, what's going to happen to him? Because mm. from my experience and what they told me, if he's, if he's perceiving that ground come, and then it was Bungie, I said, okay, that makes much, much more. He's, he's not as high as you would be to skydive. So I would love to try bungee jumping. I don't know if I'd do it off the basket of a hot air balloon though. I don't know if I'd do it at all now. I don't know. I, I was, I was braver in my twenties. I'm big <laughs> now. <laughs> I, I struggle with large escalators. I'm not, I'm not going near a bungee jump. I'm, I'm serious. Dude, I struggle with hotel balconies and Ferris wheels. So yeah. I really do have a problem with like ledges. I They just <laughs> yeah. get me. But um, skydiving is a whole different animal. So I would encourage anybody listening to give it a shot. And he brought the podcast to a screeching. <laughs> no, I'm just looking through. Okay, I have my notes and categories, <laughs> but I immediately was like ignoring all of them. So I'm just <laughs> trying to... That makes all of us. <laughs> yeah, I did want to talk about uh, some Sam characterization. Uh, he does mention, since he has so much time to be introspective, he thinks he's been leaping for so long that it's changed him and made him more detached from the people around him. I guess that's sort of a, a concept that's been a through line through this series. The fact that it he seems a little alienated sometimes. Hmm. Yeah, and I feel like that was one of the key lessons he had to learn in Mirror Image was to approach people as individuals instead of problems to be solved. And um, just because you've experienced um, something in one way, it doesn't mean that that's the way you'll always experience it. And I went on ad nauseum in mirror image about that, but it's, it's sort of the same thematic through line. And how could you not after a while, get a little jaded, get a little detached. If you keep doing the same kinds of things, especially in the McConnell verse, because it's always about some kind of domestic <laughs> abuse and alcohol and, you know, strife, uh, that is what Sam has to solve. So it's always, I mean, it can I, get very samey samey, right? Yeah. I mean, I could see how someone could fall into that, but I think uh, on the flip side, leaping helped Sam to become more attached to people because he was walking in their shoes and really like mm. getting to know these people in these brief periods of time. And I feel like it, it helped him to become more of a people person. I mean, you look at how he was in prelude uh, according to Ashley's characterization, like he was like less of a people person, like more uh, introverted. So I feel like that was a journey that he went through on the show. But certainly if this was 10 years of leaping, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> would it make you more tired? <laughs> Maybe yeah. he's like, there's a few times where he says like, how old am I now? I'm getting too old for this. This is yeah. too old to be doing <laughs> basically this. basically become Danny Glover. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> How old's uh, Al by now? Goodness. Yeah, how old is Al by 2005? <sighs> Too old to be mauled by a bear, that's for yeah. sure. We have three different birthdays for a woman 20 years younger than him. 20 Quick. years younger than him. Somebody get A to Z, Julie Barrett's book, will get Al's birthday. If only another it's reference 34. book existed. It's 1934 <laughs> is Al's birthday. Chris. <laughs> so he would have been 71 or 70, depending on mm-hmm. what time of year it was in 2005. All right, so Jen is in her 50s. That's not so bad. Yeah, I mean, I've always said uh, age gaps between two consenting adults is fine, but also, like, if it becomes a pattern, maybe the thing they like is the age and not necessarily the person. Yeah. But yeah. Um, obviously <laughs> we're talking about Al each here. other. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, but we're talking about Al here. <laughs> what was the age difference between him and Tina? Mm. <laughs> right, I think it was more. it was more than 20 years. It yeah. felt like that to me anyway. Yeah. I don't know if they've established... Uh, I bet they establish an age for her in the book that involves Tina, and I bet Matt knows it. Yes, because it's... Um, there's, there's the the book Odyssey. Um, 
I'm sure establishes must establish her age. She is born 1972. So okay. she would have been in her in her 20s. She's two years younger than me. Yeah. So in 2005, Tina would have been tw- uh, 30, 33. Yeah. She was 10 years younger than she was 10 years younger than Jana. I like the description of Tina at one point as a tall, brilliant, idiotic sounding redhead. I, I like the brilliant, idiotic sounding. I also like the tall part. Was, was, was she tall? The timeline changed. She's tall. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get a little bit into the Al Jana thing? Sure. Let's. I feel like this is where some of Ashley's foibles come to, to sabotage her because it was all very surface. Uh, did I say this already? I feel like I might have alluded to this at the top of the podcast, but for such a big deal in Al's life and for this sea change in who he is and how he views the world and his very existence being completely changed by this sudden love for a woman who's who he's remembering with increasing love and fondness, who he's becoming more and more attached to, I guess, as this timeline cements itself around him. All we get is um, like a shopping trip, a bad dream, and like a night in a hotel. Like we don't get very much from them. There's not a lot of meat there. It's, it's like she wanted to do the concept of it, but then didn't spend any time sort of building the emotional pathos that you would need to make this like a truly great, like an MIA, like, like, like sort of that, that gut punch at the end just wasn't there. And even Al seems, I know that he's supposed to be playing it sort of stiff upper lip and um, walk it off. He's a, he's, he's a tough guy, different generation, but he basically knows once Sam completes his leap uh, that Jana is gone. Uh, or anyway, out of his life. Not gone for good, not dead or anything, but not his wife. And he just off the cuff says, easiest divorce I've ever had. And that's where it ends. Hmm. And I, I get that. That's within Al's character. He's not going to be gushy. He's not going to He's not gonna lament. He's not going to, you know, tear his hair out and wail and, you know, just say, why God, why? But... At the same time, it just seemed to lack any kind of emotional resonance either with the character or with me as a reader. And it's such a great concept. Yeah. I think you could have you could have really gone for the heartstrings, really made it into just like this this harrowing experience, this this amazing read. And it was treated as a proof of concept. It was treated as mm-hmm. wouldn't that be a neat idea? But didn't really go any further as far as I was concerned. I have a lot of issues too with the way the situation arose in the first place but that's a whole separate conversation yeah i mean uh i think the the scene where al has the dream and then wakes up and then uh like he actually like hits her because he doesn't realize where Mm. where he's at or what's going on and then the way that that's handled i felt like that was the most kind of intimate moment between them because you could tell this was something that she had dealt with a lot with him and she was very patient and you know it wasn't just happy fun flirtatious trip time like it it showed like a different side of their relationship but i do agree with you we don't really get enough to feel that attached maybe uh it was for the best in the end because we're never going to see this character again but oh but maybe we will she could just pop up again randomly in a later novel (laughs) Sorry. Also by Ashley McConnell. <laughs> Randomer measures. <laughs> Randomer measures. Um, yeah, I mean it was it was fine, but it just felt like it it was kind of scratching the surface a little bit. 
Yeah. And I compare this to um, something we know that you have problems with, Allison. But every time Sam leaves Donna in the leap back, I get welled up like and we see her for, you know, as much time as we see Jana in this book. But somehow they just it resonates more with me as a viewer. And I don't know if it's because you have the actors who you love in this so you can actually see Sam going through the trouble. You have the amazing musical score. And, you know, Al's at stake in this as well. So it's a kind of a different dynamic. Maybe I'm not being fair. It's like apples and oranges. But I just feel like it's been done a couple of times in the series to such great effect. They're like all-timer episodes. And this sort of dabbles in that pond, but it doesn't really... Dabbles in that pond. I love mixing my metaphors, boy. (laughs) But uh, it, it doesn't really stick the landing. It doesn't really do anything but say, again, wouldn't this be neat? Maybe in some timelines, uh, Al and Donna are married, and that was what was going on in that Nights of the Morning Star. <laughs> you know, Donna just gives back rubs, okay? You don't have to be. She able. just gives right. sensual back rubs to her husband's BFF. And <laughs> totally. to some guy totally that's going to be an investor in the project. Didn't she give a back rub who, who, to, uh, to Den- was it Dennis? Oh, she kissed him. She oh, kissed that guy because he looked like Sam. She's all, she is all over the place. <laughs> I don't mind this concept at all that sometimes Donna doesn't exist and it was a great out for a lot of the writers because uh, not every book has Donna in it. <laughs> I'm guilty. <clears throat> yeah. There's a lot of stuff at the project. Do you want to keep going into this Jana stuff? Like all my notes are about project stuff. Yeah, point, yeah. But... So, I mean, I mean, the, the, like I said, the leap is pretty, it, it's pretty Ashley standard. Like I said, domestic, domestic squabbles, alcoholism, and uh, find a way through to the other side. And that's kind of what they did this time. They just threw somebody off a cliff. But Sam saved the day. I was thinking of the end of the leap back and that, that ending where like Clifford gets yeah, like Clifford. punched <laughs> off the cliff. Like the end. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Matt, uh, you got anything else on on Jana or other stuff on the lead? No, 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 nothing, nothing on that. I, well, I I would like to talk about the the conceit of how Jana is suddenly introduced into the timeline, because that to me is where the book falls apart completely. Did you guys have any okay. notes on go, that? Or? Go on. Okay. Just right. the like. Um, I think it was when Sam way? decides to take a different turn, and then mm. Ziggy notes a, a glitch in the timeline or something. I think that was the first inkling that something had been changed. Well, it, it made no sense to me that, and I guess maybe this is just me thinking, like usually with Quantum Leap, you have an original history, and then Sam is there to change something to cause a change in the original history. But in this, Sam's very, I guess, presence in that timeline all of a sudden shifts it so that Jana is now Al's wife. And that I don't make... think it was just his presence. I think it was because he he decided to take a different turn at some point on the road, and then they note that Ziggy has made some sort of calculation that something has changed, and I believe that changes the events just right. slightly enough. But the thing is, okay, so so follow me here. And I was confused, so I could be I could be misconstruing this, but from what I could tell, Sam's mission on the leap was to save Bethica. Bethica, right, yeah. from falling off the cliff or being erstwhile, you know, however however it was to save her, he had to save Bethica's life, and the reason why Al and Jenna got together was that Bethica died in the original history, right? Or whatever. Bethica, Bethica dies. Therefore, she's not there to distract Jana when she is like this star student who Jana loves. And Jana goes to her, her graduation and misses her start at the project by five days, right? Mm-hmm. So in the original history, 
Sam isn't there to save Bethica, so Bethica dies. So Janice should have been part of the picture the entire time. And they even yeah. cop to that in the book, and then they um. like try to backpedal it, and like they, they magnifuzzle it, and just they massage the fact away that Sam's original mission, the original history that we set out at the beginning of the book, should mean that Janna is a fact. But then when he saves her, she's gone. But she was always gone to begin with. She was never there yeah. to begin Ooh. with. So it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember what the exact explanation was. Uh, I just, my eyes glazed over. They're right. They have a whole thing with a Venn diagram and, and squiggles and they even make it. They yeah. almost try to do like the Doc Brown thing where we skewed yeah. into this tangent. And, <laughs> but it, there's no logical through line for it. It's just like Ashley saying, look, I get it. It doesn't make sense. So we're going to write around it a, a lot. We're just going to throw everything we can. Instead of ignoring it, we're going to throw everything we can at it to confuse the issue as much as possible. And let's just move on. It's almost like that Austin Powers line where he's just like, oh, look, I've gone cross-eyed. And then they just forget about any implications of the time travel in the movie, you know? Yeah. The, the turning point really should have been something that didn't involve the the main leap objective. It should have been just something arbitrary that got changed, that changed back once Bethica was still in the picture. Yeah. And so it it just made, again, it it was like, man, I love the timey-wimey stuff, but it's the way you've just kind kind of made yourself into like, it's this own, it's paradox. Mm. It's a giant paradox. And it makes no sense, even in a fourth dimensional, uh, in a fourth dimensional way where things are shifting all the time. It it makes absolutely yeah. no sense. So mm-hmm. it's too bad. It's too bad. But that was my biggest bone of contention with the entire novel. It just didn't make sense in a time travel way. The logic didn't add up. But that being said, I, you know, I still enjoyed the idea, mm. right? So mm-hmm. you had a lot of back at the project stuff. Did it touch on any of this, Allison? Okay, here's some just little things. We do get uh, a picture of the project cafeteria. Gushy is there. There's tables for 30, and they're all filled with people. So just this huge staff. Uh, also, the fridges are stocked with frozen dinners. Yeah, with gross frozen dinners. Yeah. <laughs> gross frozen dinners. Um, they also mentioned Tina's title as chief of system design. I'm not sure if that got mentioned before. Might have. Yeah. And they say that Verbena is in charge of uh, the physical and mental health of everyone at the project. So that seems like a big freaking job. Everyone. Yeah. 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 Not not to mention interviewing the Leapies in the waiting room. She's, she's busy. I don't know why they didn't show more of what Al is doing because we saw in the show he would talk to the people in the waiting room but it actually seems to go out of her way to like write him out of those scenes yeah he did maybe one, because she right? wants the people at the project to have more stuff to do but I mean like it, it would be a nice connective tissue between the two things to have more of that that was something I really liked here though because I, it never made sense to me either in the show or in a lot of the other novels that Al would be there playing psychiatrist with the leapies. Well, he doesn't have to play psychiatrist. They talked yeah. about the fact that Verbena was the one, if they were in a mental place that was kind What's... of fragile, she would usually shoo him away. Like, I think Which she would check the on time. them mentally. The... But he was the one that would come in with the, the, the questions. Like, he would, like... He's more of a people person, I would say. You know? like, but he's then like, a psychiatrist. Make them feel comfortable, and then... <laughs> 
Well, no, I just mean like he's like, hey, what's up? I'm like your friend. (laughs) And then would ask them questions. But then sometimes it would get into certain things, you know, like because Al was the only character that we knew. But I've had therapy. Yeah, that sounds exactly like the therapy I've had. (laughs) Hey, how you doing? Let's talk. I'm your friend. (laughs) All right. Well, (laughs) yeah, I I get I get why it was that way in the show and uh, and how most of the books followed suit. Uh, But I, I like the fact that. Ashley did something a bit different here and gave Fabina something that felt to me more logical. For me, I look at it in terms of the story. What does the story demand? And do yeah. you um, adhere to the demands of the story in a logical way in the universe and not even in the Quantum Leap universe, in the Quantum Leap universe as it is portrayed in this particular book, this this person's interpretation <laughs> of the Quantum Leap universe. So I guess I have many levels of forgiveness for some of this stuff. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, logically, it makes sense. I just think, uh, speaking of logic, Verbino could be a bit Vulcan-like at times. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everything a little bit too logical. And mm-hmm. like, uh, there's a balance in writing that type of character. And sometimes it can just go into kind of very dry territory. And that's how I feel. When it doesn't um, become sinister, I do feel like the stuff at the project, we discussed this before in The Wall, there's a bit of that still here uh, in how sinister the project seems. So, like, Wiki wakes up in the waiting room. He's in Sam's naked body. Naked. Yeah. They don't have Why him in an outfit. Where's the he's Fermi naked. suit? <laughs> and he's hooked up to IV tubes and stuff. And then Verbena walks in and immediately is like, gas yeah, some boys. And then they do. <laughs> and I'm like, what the? What? They talk about how Al has to convince project sponsors that the shell in the waiting room isn't sam beckett <laughs> yeah oh i like this that. is grim this yeah. is of it course is you'd like that you always talk about how you love the hollow husk sam <laughs> i beckett do love theory. the hollow husk sam <laughs> it's not a hollow husk it's his it's his it's his you body. called it a hollow husk okay i remember hollow... distinctly okay but it's not a hologram so it's you, you were like wouldn't it be great if he was a hollow husk right <laughs> I, I was thinking you meant h-o-l-o husk you're you're saying h-o-l-l-o-w husk yes yeah, that i agree like, with nobody's yeah. home yeah hologram hollow you know it we can it, it is it, no it, i don't yeah i don't so, think he's a hologram <laughs> I, I think that he is a hollow <laughs> shell yeah i think that he's an empty husk and uh i love that and uh, we had mentioned like I, I think they should be Ben walking around the project, too. <laughs> I, I just feel like, what is this? Someone wakes up and they're like, immediately gas him. Like, what is that Oh, that about? I don't know. I don't know. I guess because he was aggressive and asked like one question too many. Like, hey, where am I? Gas him, no, boy. She just, it's just <laughs> she walks in and then she's like, code blue, code blue, gas him. You know, like, what? <laughs> he hasn't done anything yet. <laughs> it's just weird. Also, this trying to explain this in between being a mind leap, body leap, whatever. She's trying to explain this stuff. Uh, and uh, she says that the leapies in the waiting room hear their own voices because that's the, what their that's... minds are used to hearing. Like, what? But Is it like, what, to explain why they wouldn't know that they were in another body? But doesn't see his own uh, non-hairy chest. He sees Sam's hairy chest, right? And Sam's white hands. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't make it doesn't fix any of these things that are blatantly contradictory to what would have happened on the show. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, I kind of you know sometimes you give yourself permission to glaze over some stuff. I glazed over a little bit of that while I was reading this because it's just different interpretations that are not entirely consistent. So, okay, that's fine. But I'm sure I, I was fine with it in the moment. But it's nothing that stood out in my memory. 
worth mentioning. So, well, I mean, once they get into it, though, then they're presenting the question, right? Like in the book, they're presenting, okay, here's how, logically how this could work. If you bring this up, then the audience is thinking about it, right? So if you're going to go with these mind leap theories and you don't want to discuss this certain stuff, fine. But then when you get into it, that's when the questions arise. <laughs> like, um, so Al is like, uh, I wonder how Sam is always Sam when he's in the bodies of leapies uh, that are like cognitively impaired. So like, for instance, when he leaped into Jimmy, how he mm. still thinks and acts like Sam when he is using that person's brain. And it's like, well, maybe that's why Sam's Swiss cheese, because he's using other people's brains. It's like, well, you're just making things more complicated <laughs> yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. I, I do recall that. And I was just like, huh? All right. Well, oh. I, I, it's almost like it doesn't make any sense. It's almost like it's it a makes mind sense. leap. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like the only consistent thing on the show was his body. <laughs> I'm not arguing with you any longer about this point. <laughs> People are tired of hearing it. It's been years, Allison, years. <laughs> <laughs> I did think the one interesting part of that in this was that Sam was allergic to cats because Wiki's allergic to cats. Oh, thank you. That was another thing that I needed to check off my McConnell list. Another cat another cat she loves the cats oh. i don't blame her cats are great yeah <laughs> anyway <laughs> oh, what's your problem with cats it? chris <laughs> <sighs> we don't have time this is a quantum leap podcast <laughs> mm. something for tangent right in this universe the people in the waiting room also wear casual outfits like he's wearing like a brown and green shirt and pants which is, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Maybe you don't, I don't know why they were always in Fermi suits. Maybe <laughs> there was some reason behind this. Well, usually I think you associate being in a Fermi suit with leaping. So maybe they keep the visitor in the Fermi suit because that's what Sam is wearing and it facilitates his leaping. Maybe they're afraid if they take the Fermi suit off, yeah, it will change a variable and he'll have less, <laughs> he'll have less of a chance to get home. I, yeah, I, I don't think know. That's one way of, of putting it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think maybe it's partially that and partially what are the future outfits? Because they had like uh, in Raped, Katie was wearing a, an outfit that was different than we usually saw, but it was still sort of a clinical futuristic kind of mm -hmm. outfit. I don't know. Inconsistent. Yeah. I mean, the show was inconsistent with it, but this is completely different. This is completely far afield. At least the show. When well, Let's put it this way. When I think of somebody in the waiting room, I think of someone in a Fermi suit. But I don't think that Ashley thinks that way. She created the waiting room as her own thing, completely separate from the show. It has no resemblance to the waiting room we see in the, in the series. So why not just go the whole nine? If you're going to do it that way, then just make it into your own thing. It's not consistent anyway, so you might as well yeah. have him walking around in nice casual slacks. And that way Verbena can look at him and be all hot for Sam because that's another little passage in this book where she just – she's all – she's befuddled. She's all flustered. I have the vapors. <laughs> Honey, I have the vapors. <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to like – bust through all the rest of the things i have is just about ziggy and just random things but i'm just gonna bust through them all real quick uh ziggy blinks a message on the hand link to al so i guess she communicates through blinks explains the lack of a screen i guess so yeah. yeah this is all like some kind of intricate morse code yeah some sort of morse code i don't know uh ziggy is also referred to as she he and it throughout the whole book oh, yeah inconsistent yeah no, definitely yeah. like three different pronouns it was it was completely intentional, and uh, yeah, I picked I picked up on it. So yeah, 
Yeah. And Ziggy speaks in the feminine Ziggy voice and Al calls calls Ziggy he very, you know, blatantly. So fluid. Just whatever. Just fluid. That's right. <laughs> Ziggy can't love or hate, but she is jealous of Al spending time with Jana. Yeah, that was a little weird to me. I could see They're her being like, jealous of Sam. You cannot program love. Ziggy cannot <laughs> love. <laughs> right, but then Ziggy says, well, then I can't hate either. So it's like, oh, okay. But I bet I bet Ziggy does hate. I bet there's some people go in the waiting room and she's like, hate them. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I am mean, not into them. But jealousy is a sign of what? Insecurity. And it's usually insecurity that is the spark for hatred. So... Yeah, I mean, she. Mm. I so don't she know could why hate. She wouldn't. If she could be jealous, she, she could wouldn't. hate. <laughs> if she has all these other emotions, uh, clearly this is not working on logic. They can can't program emotions into things. So I, I mean, however the hell this actually works, I think <laughs> she could feel emotions. Well, she certainly had an ego. She had an ego, but maybe it's also giving a nod to the line in the leap back: "Why do humans die for love?" And Sam says, "Read Shakespeare." <laughs> oh, I, get, I see your point. So she doesn't, it's still an abstract yeah. concept to her. So. I don't, yeah, I don't think, yeah, that's right. That's true. I don't think like she thinks exactly like humans do, but she does have quirks like humans because of whatever hybrid <laughs> weird thing that she is. Yeah. And has traits from both of them. So I think like part of that could be love or could be hate because I mean, she has parts of both Sam and Al. Yeah, and who's to say, you know, what she's feeling for her, even though we might not see it as love or hate, like she experiences it in her way. So it's just as valid to her because that's the only reality she knows. She can only experience her emotions. So why do they need yeah. to be pigeonholed by us? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't it's think very she, Star Trek she necessarily... Yeah, is, Picard, is she on she... trial? Is Picard defending her? <laughs> I don't think she necessarily thinks of these things in human terms, but I think like she she has parts of that to her, and I think that that's something that's really interesting about Ziggy. I wish that we'd had something maybe exclusively about Ziggy. I'm not sure if any of the novels really got into that, but I feel like it'd be very interesting because, I mean, she is an artificial intelligence, and she is a, a character. Like she's not just a computer. No, she is. And that's thanks to Deborah. I mean, Deborah played it, I think, perfect because she is aloof. So you can see in my book, I portrayed her without emotions. She had the ego, but she was largely logical. She was more Vulcan than than human, you know? She could be serene, except for yeah. the jealousy part, I guess. But it was it, she was above it all. That's the way I always saw Ziggy. So I think that with Deborah's interpretation, you could see it in any way that you want to. You can bring to Ziggy whatever you feel Ziggy should be. And that's another reason why I think like in the books, you get to explore different aspects. And my interpretation doesn't necessarily have to be your interpretation, doesn't have to be Matt's interpretation. But I think that's, that, that speaks to some, some of the real good stage work that, that Deborah brought to what was essentially like a very small part in one episode. It wasn't just one episode. We heard her in Kill in Time. We heard her in Leap Back. Uh, was that it? I think so. Yeah, two, two episodes, but very, very brief parts. It was brief, yeah. yeah. Ziggy to me is, is almost a blank page, which mm. is great. Yeah, like you can't program a person, but you can certainly put whatever aspects you want to into it <laughs> when you're uh, interpreting this character. Yeah, it's cool. It's really cool. One thing that made me laugh out loud is very early in the book, I think I even wrote down the page number. Uh, give me a second. Page 36, 
the term God time, fate, or whatever shows up. Well. First, first time and only time in the book it's said in that order. Another thing, like you said, that they explain to Verbena, like 17 different ways how reality is changing around the, the everybody at the project. I think that um, Ashley used every permutation of God time, fate, whatever. And chance just being thrown in constantly, nonstop yeah. throughout the book. It was like, okay, we get it. Enough. And also, that's our thing. Stop it. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's been around. It's an old school fandom thing. It is. It is. Well, I mean, I want to say that I've had mixed feelings. As a Quantum Leap author, and I've said this multiple times, and I'll continue to say it because it's the truth, and um, <laughs> I have to give Ashley all the props she deserves. She is the one that set this book universe in motion, and even though people had different interpretations of it, she is the one who laid much of the groundwork for what was to come in the novel series. I owe her a debt of gratitude because I modeled my vision of the project on everything that she established in her McConnell verse. I'd say Random Measures and Prelude are her two biggest contributions to the lore. And thank you, Ashley, for establishing this universe and for giving us the tools to explore it more in depth. And while I think that this book had some problems, had some logical problems, had some time travel problems, I think it is her strongest entry into the novel series. And I'm glad that she went out on this high note. Yeah, (laughs) uh, I mean, I think that she uh, established a lot of great stuff for the novels and gave a great framework to the other people writing novels. Um, So I think like Ashley McConnell, like as much as like some people have issues with some of her choices, uh, I do feel like she made a lot of great contributions and uh, she is a great writer. I thought this novel was all right. It's probably my second favorite of her novels. I liked, I think, probably her first one better, but that might just be I was more into the plot. But yeah, I mean, I recommend people check out her stuff. I like that she had her own like universe going on and she was consistent with that. So Except for, I guess, the f- a few things about Prelude she might have forgotten. Yeah. but <laughs> nerdy stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's nerdy stuff. But I think there's worthwhile things in there and, um, and interesting explorations of the characters. Yeah, and I agree with both of you. I think that there's some really cool high-concept stuff in here, some really good character stuff. This is definitely one of her better ones and i I, i've enjoyed all of them i can i can overlook some of that stuff as as alison mentioned the um the choices that she's made that have been controversial to some fans that that doesn't bother me it's um they're a good series of novels and um and this is this is a a fine one to end on i do find it interesting that we've been speaking for best part of an hour and a half now about the law the project stuff all the implications therein, we haven't really talked much about the leap and we're wrapping up. And I think that that's the one thing that I, I do think this this novel falls down on a little bit. The leap itself is 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 fun enough. It's kind of pedestrian season two type leap that's sort of entertaining, but not necessarily that memorable. It's true. Yeah. And I think that it's natural though, right? Because she's already done some straight leap stuff a lot of straight leap mm. stuff in her first book she got to she got to go outside the lines in prelude of course but carny knowledge and uh too too close too comfortable um <laughs> the wall uh they were all very much leap centered novels so yeah. in this one i feel like she's 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 spreading her wings and mm, she's true. expanding more and i a lot of the leap stuff was just rehashing 
ideas that she had already thoroughly explored in her other books. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think in, in my mind, I always thought that Ashley had four books, right? But it's, isn't, is it five? We have Too Close, Too no, Comfortable. It's four. It's the novel Too Close for Comfort Prelude. No, it's, it's five. Yeah. Five. The wall and then this. Yeah. Five. Wow. We, I always thought it was four, but she's got five. So gosh, Good gosh, golly, Ashley McConnell. <laughs> it just goes to show uh, that it is Ashley McConnell's book universe and we're all living in it. And um, <laughs> I guess that just uh, closes the book on uh, our discussion of random measures and closes the book on the broader McConnell verse altogether. So thank you, Ashley. It was wonderful to see you off. Another wonderful thing that I have to announce is that we have some new patrons. Is everybody ready? Let's give it up for three new patrons. Uh, This time around, we are going to celebrate Mr. Richard Templeman. Richard joins us as a $5 leaper. Thank you, Richard, for your support. Also joining us at the $5 leaper level is Michael Wade. Michael, thank you. And last but certainly not least is Lee Scribbs, $5 leaper level once again. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much. At that $5 Leaper level, they get access to all of our exclusive bonus content on the Patreon feed. They are also automatic members of the Quantum Leap Podcast Book Club, which means I will be sending them their Quantum Leap Podcast bookmark. I just edited together our Fangent number nine, which we recorded about three weeks before the Revival series hit the air oh, crap it was I don't remember a trip anything about what we talked about <laughs> me neither it what was, was such a, a crazy random show but it sure, certainly is sort of a snapshot and a time capsule so if uh you have been thinking about supporting us on patreon at that five dollar level you'll be able to hear that show it was really really kind of trippy to put together uh it's just something that will be coming out probably in the next couple of days so everybody oh, man, uh, i can't wait to find out what we talked yeah. about <laughs> I, I had no memory I had no memory, oh, but I man. went with it. Yeah, people, uh, Patreon supporters who've been getting uh, bookmarks from the QLP book club have been sending pictures of them with their Quantum Leap novels to the Twitter account, and we've been loving it. Yeah. So yeah. keep sending them our way. We love to see it. That's great. And, people uh, who, who was it that designed him again? Your friend Scott? What's his name? Scott Madison, who is our official uh, graphic designer. He also designed our new logo based on the hockey puck hand link and our original logo based on the gummy bear hand link. So Scott is a wonderful graphic designer. You can find his stuff at planetrisecreative.com. Mm. So good. So yeah, check out Scott's stuff, planetrisecreative.com. He's a very talented individual and uh, he's very reasonable, reasonably priced. So you get a professional job and it won't break the bank. And we have our patrons like Richard, like Michael, like Lee, like everybody else who has supported us in the past um, for allowing us to have someone as talented as Scott on, on as, as part of the crew. So now we're, we're this is going to be like inception level. You thought a little miracle was trippy uh, version six. We were up to, right? But uh, <laughs> we have a quantum leap novelist commenting about our show, about her quantum leap novel on another episode about another quantum leap novel. Uh, that's oh just God, a very oh God, oh convoluted way of saying that we got a letter from Ms. Melissa Crandall. So, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Melissa, uh, to refresh your memory, uh, is the author of Search and Rescue.
Rescue, which is the novel we reviewed last in the book club. And she sent this wonderful email. She writes, Hello, everyone. Hayden notified me about the recap of my book and the repeat of the original interview. And I finally had a chance to listen. Thank you for considering it worth revisiting. The author I was then, still sitting inside the author of today, finds much of it cringeworthy, mostly because I like to think I've grown as a writer. Fingers crossed. But I remain fond of this story on a lot of levels. Best, Melissa. Oh, man, that's so cool. (sighs) Melissa, you have nothing to be cringe. There's nothing cringeworthy. You don't have to cringe. You don't have to embrace your inherent cringe arc. (laughs) I thought that that you did a great job, Melissa. Um, yeah. But I also understand as an author um, and as a creator, anytime that I'm not a published author, I should say, well, never mind. I won't get into it. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say um, that's totally like a common thing to find anything that you've published be like, could have done that better. <laughs> yeah. But that's a sign, you know, of a good author who wants to grow creatively all the time. That you're like, I want to keep growing and striving. And um, I do think that it was worth revisiting. And uh, I love the book. So yeah, it's something it, you should be proud of. It is a really fun book. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're in the upper echelon because um, most people will never publish a Quantum Leap book. It's a very select yes. club that you're part of. And uh, <laughs> I, I feel like only I'm ta- cool people are part I'm of it. talking myself up here. But no, I mean, so you have nothing to be cringe, cringing about. It was um, a fine book and uh, we greatly enjoyed it. I mean, we, we loved it, to be honest. So there were things we had issues, but we have issues with everything. We'll have issues with my book. We'll have issue with every book we read, I'm sure. But mm. Melissa, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and for reaching out we appreciate hearing from you and it was so much fun re-listening to her interview wasn't it yeah 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 so uh if you haven't also thanks for writing the bear scene (laughs) (laughs) by far the trippiest scene in all of the (laughs) quantum leap novel universe mcconnell verse or otherwise so Where's the Crandall verse? <laughs> She's still That's an author. We need. <gasps> we need a we need a follow up. Get the Crandall verse going. Now limping along. What happened to the bear later? It was Gordon, right? <laughs> Gordon, Gordon in his wheelchair. <laughs> it's the the bear looking for a picnic basket. <laughs> <laughs> Meets a little friend with a bow tie. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we have. This is um, silly. I know. Really? Write that werewolf story. She was going to write a werewolf story, right? Yeah, she she said. Write your werewolf story. The Crandallverse. Let's get it going. (laughs) It'll live in the same universe as Blood Moon. Heck yeah. (laughs) It'll be our very own Twilight. So we have another email. Uh, Would you care to handle... Allison, why don't you handle this one? Matt did the blurb. I did the first email. You do the second email. How's that? Okay. Well, this PS at the end certainly means this should be for me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, This is from Jennifer Bayless. She writes, Hello, Quantum Leap Podcast. I love your show. I listen to it every day. I first listened to your podcast to find out what the heck was happening in the new series. Because I'm from Australia, here you have to pay to watch it. I could type pages and pages of me geeking out about Quantum Leap, but I'm trying to keep it short. I really appreciate you guys making the podcast, and I love listening to Matt, Allison, and Chris specifically. So thanks. P.S. I just wanted to say, Allison in particular is hilarious. Laughing, crying emoji. (laughs) Can I just say, I, I, I think it's great that everyone's written to us. And I think Melissa's letter in particular was great. <laughs> Melissa's. <laughs> 
I can't hear you. It's so it's, funny. It doesn't sound very specific to me. I can't. I can't. What? Did you say something? Because I'm the best. <laughs> no, uh, oh, I did want to say uh, to Jennifer, first of all, thank you. I am hilarious. <laughs> she um, is. Also, uh, in Australia, I believe they're picking up Quantum Leap on Channel 7. So I think next Ooh. year sometime it's going to be airing on there. I'm not sure if it's that's also a paid thing. I don't know how it works in Australia, but uh, it is going to be airing there. Oh, shiznats. We never said the biggest news of all since oh. we last recorded. The Revival series <laughs> has been picked up. This is a season two. Season two, baby! <laughs> yes. Renewed for season two, an early renewal. Yeah. Yeah, surprisingly. Yeah. Apparently, I, I, um, all the doomsayers are wrong. The show is um, no. one of the leading shows in the demographic they want. And they're saying, what, like top top player on Peacock the next day. Yeah, so, it's doing really well for them on Peacock. Yeah. So uh, it really speaks to their faith in the series that they've renewed it while it's on a winter hiatus, yeah. while they've only aired eight episodes. So I think that uh, that's a good sign. Yeah. I thought we'd be waiting for weeks before any kind of news. Now we have confirmation, early confirmation, that we'll never sleep again. So, yay us! <laughs> yay season two! <laughs> the whirlwind continues. I'm write more books. There's no end in sight, at least for the next year and a half. And I, for one, couldn't be happier. So, <laughs> congratulations to everybody involved in the new series. And I'm, I'm just going to steal the terminology now from Fate's Wide Wheel because Sam and Dennis uh, have coined it the classic series. And they call it the revival series, not the original series and the reboot. So I love classic and revival as terminology, and I'm going to now appropriate that for our show as well. Thank you, Sam and Dennis. And another I'm, thanks. I'm going to call it original recipe. <laughs> <laughs> Is the colonel involved somehow? Yeah. <laughs> but I I'm also... just going to ignore, annoy all the listeners by calling the original series. Yeah, that old crap. <laughs> <laughs> And the other the junky old one. The reboot quill. Hello. I'm all, all about the reboot quill. So I wanted also to give um, big ups to Sam and Dennis for the interview that they did with Matt um, about Beyond the Mirror Image. It was phenomenal. I listened to it after I listened to your guys' new, um, I guess, your new layer to uh, (laughs) the behemoth that is now a little miracle, Little Miracle 6, which you continued on Fate's Wide Wheels feed with a interview about what went into creating Beyond the Mirror Image second edition. And like, I know we talked about it on our feed and I just brought it up extemporaneously once when we were doing uh, Fangent because I wanted to know about it and I wanted to help you promote it. But this is a proper interview. They ask such good cogent compelling questions it's not just me dicking around and trying to put matt on the spot it's a real real good listen so if you haven't listened to that yet on our feed i suggest you go back and listen to it because they ask so many great questions and matt you answer with such a clarity and the level of just like detail and thought that goes into everything you do in that book continuously astounds me so Hats off. Well, thank you. Hats off, my friend. Yeah, it, it, was a, it was a really fun interview. Hats off to you in particular. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. You're so funny. Um, I, I'm, glad it, I'm glad it came through. I haven't listened to the interview yet, but um, I'm, I'm glad it came through. Because, yeah, I, I, was, um, I was blown away by the, the prep that they'd done. And they, they came up with some really good questions. I was quite uh, caught off guard. So I'm glad it all came together. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's terrific. And um, it just makes me 
look so much more forward to uh, seeing the finished product now. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Nearly there, nearly there. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> then Quantum Leap A to Z won't be the only book covering every episode of Quantum Leap. <laughs> but it'll still be the best one. <laughs> it'll still be my go-to. <laughs> Um, I did want to say the uh, Fates Wide Wheel guys also guested on the newest iteration of A Little Miracle. So if you got nine hours to spend, um, they are in there. Uh, Or you can skip to their parts. I'm sure uh, people won't mind if you skip over the parts you've seen, heard in other years. But um, (laughs) but yeah, uh, those two were super nice. They're always posting about the show uh, and promoting it on Twitter and um, just, you know, keeping the fandom alive. And they're they're just some of the nicest guys. Yeah. Yeah. And so knowledgeable and uh they give their own take which i really like i don't often listen because i never want to be uh, you know i don't be influenced by somebody else's opinion so that it leaks onto our show i want our show to be our show but they are doing a spectacular job with with what they're doing and particularly their social media game on instagram and tiktok is head and shoulders above ours because i'm in charge of that stuff and i stink at it our twitter game i think dominates because allison is in charge of that but uh (laughs) (laughs) they're kicking our asses on instagram they're still doing they got all the tiktoks and stuff i don't even i don't know how to work (laughs) that stuff (laughs) Uh, yeah, just great. Uh, and they've been doing um, some interviews with uh, other cast members as well. And, and they've been doing interviews with other people, such as Matt and some other uh, fans and other people in the fandom. Um, they talked to Holly Fields recently. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you guys are interested in hearing like even more in-depth stuff, they definitely have more for people to listen to. Yeah. So check yeah. them out. Check them out. Fate's Wide Wheel. So if you would like to be like Jennifer Bayliss or Melissa Crandall, there are many ways that you can reach us here at the Quantum Leap Podcast, you can send us a letter at P.O. Box 542, Bayport, New York, 11705. You can get us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at quantumleappod. And you can always go that extra mile and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast. Just remember, we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. And speaking of upcoming episodes, and hmm, Holly Fields, too, uh, the hmm. Patreon supporters have spoken. And Matt, tell us where we're going next. Disappointingly, it's not Thou Shalt Not. <laughs> <laughs> not it fan looks- favorite, Thou Shalt Not, shunned again. <laughs> It looks like we're stuck in season one, and I, I kind of, I feel so entrenched in season one now. I, I think that when we get to the end, we're just going to end up looping back to the start. But for <laughs> now, um, we still have some season one episodes to go. So it's Kamikaze Kid. <laughs> There you have it. The first official oh boy on Quantum Leap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Kamikaze Kid, I how do you pronounce it? That's that's going to be the main discussion. Is it Kamikaze Kid or Kamikaze? I say Kamikaze Kid. I feel like I've said it Kamikaze Kid, but I just feel like it just sounds like I'm saying it wrong. Like clearly it's a play on his name because yeah. he leaps into a kid named Cam, but <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like this episode is most uh, mostly remembered as having like the iconic Al outfit in it. You got the the silver jacket, mm-hmm. the red glasses, the newspaper suspenders. Like that is the look most people think of when they think of Al Calavici. So pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to go rock and robin with you hip cats in a men's room. Until then, I have been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Allison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Special thanks to our producers, Chris, a.k.a. Brackmang, Mike Covert, Joshua Burwald, Jeff Kiska, Greg Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap podcast is a barren space production. Should be plenty. You can hear the train whistle in the background. No, we Watch out, Miss Melney! Miss Melney! He was on the damn train! (laughs) (laughs) Let's <laughs> see. Long Island Railroad going strong. All right. I love that headcanon that Sam's traumatized because he was on the train that hit Miss Melanie. <laughs> I really think that we are the first and only people to ever make that connection. Amazing. <laughs> Hats off to you in particular.